Well, good morning, friends. If you're new with us, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church, and we're just so glad that you're here with us. We're honored to have you as part of our community. And today, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about as we continue our series of values that shape us. And we're going to be talking about community. We're going to be talking about community and the importance of it. But I have a question to ask right off the top. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt alone? Like, really alone? Like, like I'm, I'm, ta- I'm not just talking about, you know, those, those beautiful moments of aloneness. You know what I'm talking Like, in the woods where you're alone and it's quiet and you're like, ah. I'm talking about the kind of alone where you're surrounded by people, but you're still desperately alone. I'm talking about that kind of loneliness. I'm talking about those moments where you can have people sitting in the room with you and you feel alone. Maybe some of you here, you're here today, you're surrounded by people. You're surrounded by even maybe even familiar faces and you feel alone. And you feel alone. I'll, I'll never forget the first time walking into uh, my dorm room at college. I landed at, in college, uh, I, I, I kind of landed at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport and took a taxi those are before the days of Uber. That taxi cost me an arm and a leg. And I got to my campus, and I remember rolling my stuff in, and they didn't have a place to put me yet, so they put me on the very top floor of the dormitory, which is 10 stories. And so they put me up on the 10th story. There's nobody on that floor other than me. And so I remember I opened up the room, and I walked in, and it was dark, and I brought my luggage in, and here I am, prairie boy from Winnipeg, all alone, Dallas, Texas. I don't know a soul. And I remember putting my bags down. I just stood there, and I just, like, broke down. I just had a complete breakdown. The, the feeling of loneliness just overtook me because I had always been surrounded by family and friends and, and community that loved me and knew me. And now here I am all alone by myself, and I just had this moment of breakdown. And, and it didn't take very long, but I got myself together, and I just said, no, forget this. I'm out of here. I, I left my dorm room, I went back down to the lobby, and I remember coming in, there's a group of people just hanging out, and I did the most awkward thing I've ever done in my life. I just walked up to the circle of people and said, hey guys, my name's, I just interrupted them. Hey guys, my name is Lucas, I'm from Canada, just landed, how's it going? I just couldn't stand being alone. I needed to have community. I needed to have people a funny story, a lot of those people that I met that first day, I never actually hung out with ever again. <laughs> Maybe it was because of my approach. But today we're going to continue our series entitled The Values That Shape Us. And, and we're exploring these values because values bring alignment in the heart around what matters in community. And if you're not clear on the values of community, it's very easy for us to become misaligned. And when we become misaligned, everybody's chasing after their own values and their own things. And there's a lack of unity and there's a lack of synergy that allows us to accomplish great things for the kingdom. And so we wanted to take the season of our church and our time and community together to shape the values of Evangel Church. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to ask you to write this down. If you're taking notes, write this down. You hear it all the time. You're probably sick of hearing it, but you're going to hear it again. You were made for community. 
welcome home. You were made for community, welcome home. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we recognize your presence here with us today. Lord, we didn't come to hear from me. <laughs> Lord, we came to hear from your word. We came to hear from the spirit of truth that gives us revelation of what is right and true and worthy of submitting one's life to. And we ask, Lord, that you would come, that you would teach us, Lord, that we would all be active participants in the preaching of God's word, and that, Holy Spirit, you would lead, guide, and direct the next moments of our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was the beginning of time and the season of humanity on this planet. God had created the heavens and the earth. He created the animals of the land, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea. And then he created the man, Adam. In his image, the first man. And, and this man, Adam, walked in perfect, sinless, unfettered access to his creator. I want you to think about this. Think about the implications of this. Adam was perfect and righteous and holy. Nothing separated the first man from his creator, God. And they were together in relationship, perfect relationship, perfect unity. And yet, what, did, what does God say following the creation of Adam? He says this in Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. It is not good that the man should be alone. Fast forward to the first century, as Jesus hangs upon the cross, and, and he speaks these words to his father in John 17, 20 to 21. He says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Jesus prays this prayer on the cross because he understands the deep fundamental need humanity has for relationship and community. It's not good for man to be alone. Lord, that they would all be one as, as you and I are one in perfect relationship. There's this... There's a creative design argument to be made here about the fundamental need of the human being who has been made in the image of God. God is triune, which means he's three persons in one. It's an incomprehensible concept, but he's three persons in one. Perfect harmony of community, Father, Spirit, and Son. And then he creates the man Adam in his image. And because he created him in his image, it's fundamentally not right for Adam to be alone. Man has a fundamental need for companionship, for community, and for intimacy. And th this is why we, we, we say to you, you were made for community. We literally mean from a biblical worldview, you were literally designed with a deep need for community. It's a fundamental need that each of us has. To not be alone, but to be with others. 
in intimacy and vulnerability in community. Thus Jesus' prayer on the cross for all believers, that they would be one as I am one with you, Father, that they would be one, that they would experience the oneness of community, the unity of the Spirit, because in so doing, human beings begin to walk in that original design of reflecting the community represented to us in the Godhead. Three persons in one. And we begin to walk in what we are originally designed for, and that's the spot, that's the sweet spot, that's where you find fulfillment, and that's where you find life, and that's where you find growth, and we're going to talk about that. You were made for community, welcome home. Now you're probably sitting there thinking, well, Lucas, thanks, thanks for painting the, the utopian picture of the church, right? Th- thanks for that. But we all know that's not real life, right? Some of you, have you been in church for a long time. Those, those of you exploring church with us, exploring faith with us, maybe, maybe church life is new to you. I want to give you a heads up. Someone's going to eventually hurt you here. Someone's going to eventually talk behind your back here. We're not talking about a utopian ideal of the church gathering and it's all going to be kumbaya. But we are talking about a community of faith and a place where you will grow and mature to the potential God has placed in you the day that he created you. If community is a fundamental need for the human experience, you can't just dismiss it because it's hard. I remember uh, watching the Olympics. Who remembers the Olympics in Beijing? Do you remember the story leading up to the Olympics? It's about the air quality. In fact, a lot of athletes, they decided not to go um, because of the air quality in Beijing. And so there was all this talk about the air quality. Sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be drinking a little bit. I was at a Seahawks game on Thursday, and I screamed my fool head off. So I've got to be careful with my vocal cords today. But, but can you imagine coming to a place where you would say to yourself, you know what, this air, this air is hurting me. It's too toxic. Um, I'm going to stop breathing. Right? Like, like, can you imagine coming to that? Like, that, that's, that seems so fundamentally wrong, right? Because if you don't breathe, you, you die. But so often, this is what we do with community. Listen, friends, if, if we were designed by our creator with this deep fundamental need for people and community, why is it sometimes we treat it just like air, and we say, you know what, I was hurt. And I'm going to remove myself. I'm going to embrace loneliness over the potential hurt of community. And what we do in that moment, just like air, you know what, if the air, it's going to happen pretty quick. You know, just a, just, just a couple minutes. With community, the only difference, the only difference between dying is it just takes longer. When we remove ourselves from vulnerability and community and intimacy, 
we remove a fundamental need that we have as human beings to know and to be known. Sometimes community is toxic. And if community is toxic, perhaps we should find new community. Sometimes it's toxic. But let me tell you, friends, it's always broken. It's always broken. And sometimes we walk into the brokenness together, and that's where God matures you in the spirit. That's where we begin to rub on each other. That's where we begin to, like, iron sharpens iron with friction and moments of, of, of coming together. We begin to grow in maturity. And God uses community to bring us to a place of deeper maturity. Now, I, I hope I've convinced you that you have a deep need for community in your life. But now I hope to convince you that, that being part of community of faith is, is what Jesus is talking about on the cross. But let's read the, the words of the writer of Hebrews, who under the influence and leading of the Holy Spirit, he writes these words in Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The word stir here is translated in the English language best as the word provoke. Provoke. That's the word that we get kind of the best translation out of that stir up, provoking one another to love and good works. We are called to be people of provocation. Now with that said, we need to define what that means. What, what is biblical provocation? What is, what is it to biblically provoke someone? Because we all know the negative side of provoking, right? We've all experienced being provoked. And it usually doesn't end well, relationally. So how do we do provoking one another to love and good works. But here's my, here's my question when it comes to the idea of provoking. Why, why would the author not just say, let's encourage one another to love and good works? Because he says it after, right? He says, as, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day. Why doesn't he just use the word encourage? Encourage one another. That sounds so much better. So much more inspirational. Right? Now, I have a theory. And mind you, it's only a theory. But, but try it on and see how it fits. All right? I was having an interesting conversation with someone this week. And uh, they, they were posed. They're going through a coaching um, kind of thing. And uh, they're, they're asked this question. If your neighbor came to you and they asked you, what can you offer me? What can Christian faith offer me other than eternal life after I die? That was the question. And so this individual answered the question after he thought about it for a little bit. And he said, I can offer a message of self-denial, dying to yourself, self-sacrifice, 
It's interesting. He was speaking to this kind of dichotomy of a free salvation, right, that in turn costs you everything. You hear what I'm saying? The gospel is free. Salvation is free. It's the work of Christ. It's the work of Christ. But by nature, becoming new in Christ Jesus causes us to begin this journey of looking more and more like Jesus, which means we die to ourselves. We deny ourselves. We sacrifice what has been most valuable for us for the things that are most valuable to him. The dichotomy of a free salvation that costs you everything. But there's a truth to this reality. The gospel message is good news. But the journey of faith is hard. The journey of faith is a journey of dying. That's what it is. It's a journey of dying. Dying to yourself. Dying to your flesh. Dying to your wants and desires. And picking up his. And trying on his. And walking in his values. And seeing the world through his eyes as opposed to our eyes. That's what this journey of faith looks like. Jesus called it picking up your cross and following him. So the journey is fundamentally one of self-denial, of letting go of your wants and desires and trading them for his. It's painful, it's hard, and this is where provocation comes into play. Because friends, when it comes to dying to yourself, it's not good enough just to be encouraged. The niceties are not just good enough because we're talking about fundamentally dying to ourselves to our wants, to our needs, to our desires. And so we need to be in community where we call each other, we stir one another up, we provoke one another to deeper things in our walk with Christ. I mean, you want to call this accountability? We can call it accountability. I mean, how many of us have accountability partners or over the years you've been in an accountability group? Not pleasant, not fun. It's not one of those groups you go to and go, woo! Especially if you're messing up and had a bad week. You're not excited to go to that group because those guys or those gals are going to provoke you to dying to some things in your life so you can pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Dying to yourself is hard, and dying to yourself is impossible without community. and the grace of God to do it. Provocation coming from a base motivation of love in community, founded in the external truth, and partner with the work of the Spirit is the only thing that gives us the strength and motivation to change. To look more and more like Jesus each day. God uses community around us as a catalyst for us changing our lives. This is why things like accountability are so powerful. It's a peer pressure. It's a peer pressure that gives you encouragement and strength to live differently. Listen, friends, I'm not emphatically against peer pressure. I'm not. And we can argue about this after if you want. But right now I got the microphone, so keep it to yourself. (laughs) I'm not fundamentally opposed to peer pressure. It depends on what the peer pressure is. 
It depends on what it's based in. Let me give you a working filter for this. Subjective, individualized peer pressure is not what I'm talking about. A set of standards that we create as a society out of popular opinion or subjective feelings, that's not what I'm talking about. The only way community can be healthy is if we're provoking one another and encouraging one another around the external truths given us to, to us by our Savior and our Creator. I'm talking about that kind of peer pressure that's founded in truth, in the truth of God's word, the creator's word for us, that calls us to align our hearts in community together towards the ways that he calls us to live. But there's a second filter. It can't just be truth. Because we've all, most of our hurt in the church has at times been people who have provoked us with truth and truth alone. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. The base motivation for all of it has to be love. The second filter is love. I don't know who said it, but, but I've heard it a lot since I moved to Powell River. A number of you say this. The saying goes like this, if you say the right things in the wrong way, you are wrong. If you say the right things in the wrong way or out of the wrong motives, you're wrong. Now, you may be right fundamentally, but you're wrong motivationally. And what does God look at? God looks at the motives of the heart. The second filter is always love. Paul writes these words to, to one, of, it's one of the most famous passages in Scripture. He says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If, you give, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love must be the motivation of being healthy community. Love has to be at the base of provoking and stirring one another up towards love and good deeds. Love is what leads us to leaning and following Jesus more closely. Provoke and encourage one another towards love and good works. And this is a big part of why we're called the community. This, this is actually part of counting the cost of being part of community. Because listen, friends, you can, can you make it to heaven being a lone ranger? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you've, if you've submitted your life to Jesus and you've asked for forgiveness and, and he's come into your life and you believe he's a savior, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. But listen, friends, you'll never be all that you were called to be unless you're being refined in the word, in the spirit, and in community. Unless you're known and you know others in community 
your growth is already stunted. It's already stunted. You'll never grow to the potential God has for you or the things that God has for you because none of us were meant to do this alone. You have a fundamental need for community. And in community, we stir one another up. Now, can I just, can we just get this out of the way? Just first, first and foremost, can we get this out of the way? So often we overlay our culture onto, onto scripture, right? So when we think provoke, all of us as Canadians are like so uncomfortable with that idea because we're so nice all the time. Friends, sometimes community means doing the hard thing and having conversations you don't want to have, but praying long and hard that it's motivated by love and that it's founded in truth. God never called us to overlay our culture onto kingdom culture. He calls us into a world and into a worldview that causes us to begin to think differently about the way that we operate and live life. We exchange our culture for a kingdom culture. And then the second thing, if I could just say, everybody knows a jerk when they see one. Okay? Maybe that's a great filter. Don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk about it. I'm just, right? If you're walking in with just external truths and you're calling someone to task and you don't give a rip about them, all you give a rip about is that truth being upheld in their life, you're a jerk. Cut it out. Stop it. Because saying the right things and the wrong motivations means you're wrong. And so we've got to figure this out in community. We've got to have patience with one another. We've got to grow together. We've got to be generous to one another with grace so that we can begin to live this out, so that we can become, not just as individuals, but as a church, as a community of faith, realize the potential that God has called us to in this time and in this place in Powell River and beyond. You are made for community. Welcome home. So why do we say welcome home? Because those in Christ, those in Christ Jesus have become family. In Christ we are brothers and sisters, and that means everything that comes with being family, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And here's what I say that. Just look at the dynamics of a family. Memories that are made around celebrations. We celebrate one another in life milestones, like right birthdays and growing and, and weddings and anniversaries and life accomplishments. We, we celebrate one another. When those among us exploring faith come to Christ, what do we do? We celebrate that because that's what our mission is. Disciples making disciples. Creating safe places for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love and look more and more like him each day. That's what we're all about. And so we celebrate. But families also fight with one another. I have yet to meet a fully functional family. Every family is dysfunctional in some way, shape, or form. And that goes for the church as well. If you're looking for a fully functional church, this isn't it. 
This is a family that has some dysfunction. But hear me on this. The dysfunction of the church doesn't overrule the need for the church in your journey of faith. The hypocrisy that you see around you does not overrule your deep need for people to be a part of your journey of faith. Now, there's a difference between dysfunction and toxicity. Toxicity is an environment that you should remove yourself from. You should remove yourself from toxic relationships and community and environments. But you're never going to find a stable, fully functioning body of Christ on this planet until Jesus returns. So stop looking for utopia and start digging into community. Because I believe God wants to use community to shape and mature you. And God wants you to use you to shape and mature others. Dysfunction is an environment where you learn to be patient, where you practice forgiveness because you practice it out of necessity, because you get hurt, because people let you down. That's the only way you learn forgiveness, to forgive like Jesus forgave. That's the only way you learn is when you are hurt and when people do mess up. And you have to walk through the hard thing of receiving God's grace to forgive. And as you do that over and over and over, as you walk in that grace, as you walk in forgiveness, as you walk in patience, as you begin to see that person that annoys you as God's tool to shape something deep in you, then you can begin to bless them authentically and pray for them with love and a motivation for their best. God wants to lead you to be the best version of you in community to bring health and stability. And the best version of you is being the one that looks more like Jesus and less like you. Welcome home is both a statement about who we are and it's an invitation for all those who are seeking family and community. A place where there is no pretense, where we admit we don't have it all figured out, but, but we've given ourselves to, to the pursuit of looking more like Jesus and mutually submitting to one another in this journey of faith. You were made for community. Welcome home. Welcome home. Brothers and sisters, welcome home. This is what it's all about. I'm going to ask the worship team to come at this time. As they come, my prayer for you today is that you would be inspired to commit yourself once again to the pursuit of faith through community. That the Holy Spirit would be doing something deep in you, even in this moment. That you would be convinced of your fundamental need for community in becoming a mature follower of Jesus. That even in the inevitable moments when you are hurt in community, God can bring healing and teach you deep truths about forgiveness and about life and about esteeming others as greater than yourself. So God, would you give us the grace to provoke one another with love and encouragement, 
based on the objective truths of the scriptures, to live holy and righteous before you. Lord, we echo the prayer of Jesus upon the cross. I do not ask for these only, but also for all who believe in me through their work, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Make us one, Lord Jesus. Make us one. You are made for community. Welcome home.